Hi, welcome to the Early Exit Podcast, where we talk about our experiences in buying, riding, and researching motorcycles and the gear we use while we're riding them. Here we're talking about our experiences mostly in buying motorcycles with a semi-expert, or at least an enthusiast in the sport, Matthew Lurker. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. I don't think that I'm an expert, but I am happy to talk about uh, motorcycling and everything about motorcycling. So what is your experience in motorcycling and where did you start? What was the first time that you thought I'm going to get a bike? So I would say the first time I thought that I was like 12 years old and I, you know, people always ask me like, how'd you get into riding? And I didn't have like a friend who already had a bike. My dad didn't have a bike. I didn't grow up dirt biking. Um, but I remember when I was like 12 years old, I had this neighbor, he lived like two or two doors down. He was like early twenties, him and his wife, they had one kid, but he rode this white, it was probably like a Honda CBR looking back at it, but he had this white sport, uh, he had a sport bike. And he, his helmet was like this, uh, like, you know the bullet character from Mario that like comes slowly <laughs> at you and yeah. eats Mario? His helmet was that on the helmet. I thought that was so cool. So, and his bike was loud. It, it probably had some exhaust on it. Where were you living at? I, I was here. I was here in Idaho. Um, so probably Yeah, over by your parents' house actually. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> So I, I remember every day I would see him and I'm like, that guy is cool. Yeah. And so like from a very young age, I always thought like motorcycles are cool. So that's kind of where the desire probably sparked, or at least like as far as linking it back to a memory, you know, that's probably where the farthest back I can link my desire to a certain memory. <clears throat> Interesting. So once you had that memory, how many years was it until you actually went and bought a bike that's the sad part <laughs> um it was let's see it was 2018 and it's 2020 now so i was like 22 yeah i was 22 at the time okay that's when i got my first bike my first bike was a 2007 kawasaki vulcan 900 that i still have fortunately unfortunately <laughs> don't love the bike but i mean it was great it, you know it got me into the sport uh so i, I really love that about it but as far as that process went, I, um, I've been talking to my wife for several months, probably about three or four months, like maybe we should get a motorcycle. Um, and you know, as like a financial decision, it wasn't the best financial decision. It hasn't been terrible, but you know, it's a few thousand dollars that you want to put into something that you don't need to. Uh, necessarily. I later learned that you do actually need to, but <laughs> it's hard to pitch that to uh, to a spouse. That's true. But anyway, we talked for maybe a few months. It was kind of on the table, getting a really cheap bike, you know, like two or 3000 or less sort of thing. Um, and, and now looking back, I'd probably recommend to someone to spend a little bit more than that on their first bike. You know, don't buy brand new, but buy a good bike that, you know, it's, it's going to be reliable and everything. So... Um, but anyway, I had been looking at listings for months and just kind of waiting for a really good deal. And then October came around um, and I had been watching this certain bike. There were only like two pictures of it listed. It had a really short, crappy description, not great pictures. And so no one had really bought it or anything. And I watched the price just drop for like months on this thing um, until it got down to the point where it was listed at 1900 bucks, which I felt like was a steal for that bike. So I talked to my wife like, hey, um, I want to look at this bike. I'm going to be down in Utah where it was listed. 
Um, we were still living up in Idaho up here at the time. But I was just talking like, hey, I want to look at this bike. I think it could be really good. Um, I'd kind of narrowed it down to I wanted a cruiser, and this one was a good deal for I felt like enough power. Not that I knew what enough power was. but <laughs> So why did you want to do a cruiser? Um, I wanted to, I, I think first was the aesthetic. Like when you think of motorcycling, like, oh, yeah, like that's badass. You want a cruiser. Um, sort of like a Sons of Anarchy sort of vibe. Yeah. And like since being in motorcycling, that's not really my style anymore. But at first that was kind of like my first thought, like it looks so cool. And then I want to go on trips, like a weekend trip or something. Yeah. So those are like the two driving factors. And then my wife could ride with me. That makes sense. So those are probably the main factors to me deciding on getting a cruiser. But anyway, she said, she said like, yeah, you can talk to him about it. Um, and I kind of haggled with him on price, talked him down another 200 bucks off of already what was a steal. Um, so I ended up uh, coming back with a bike, you know, a couple weeks later. I didn't ride it back because that'd be dumb to ride four <laughs> hours on a bike that I'd in October. never ridden. Yeah. Yeah. In October. All the way down in Utah. Through Utah to Idaho. Like, that's not a good plan. How many hours was that? Um, it was four hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was with you when we went to pick that up. Yeah. So Jay was with me and then another friend, Justin, who I've been friends with for, I don't know, 10 years now. Yeah. Kind of weird, but, and we all ride bikes now, but. Uh, Justin had a truck, so we got a trailer and went and picked it up, and and I still have it. Well, so that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you got your first bike, I immediately wanted to get a bike, and as you said, it's hard to convince your wife or anybody really that a bike is a good option. Mm -hmm. So my first bike ended up being a project, as you saw. Yep. Mine was this 19, oh man, 85 Suzuki Intruder 1400. And it was horrible. It was a terrible bike. Um, <laughs> you rode it. What was your first impression when you rode it? Because we went to pick it up at, it was like 2 a.m.? Yeah, it was like 2 a.m. We met this guy in a McDonald's <laughs> parking lot. He'd driven up and you, you know, traded stuff for it to get the bike. It wasn't even like paying cash up front completely. Middle of the night purchase, like kind of a crazy story. But yeah. I remember riding that bike and I think it was, was it January or December at that uh, time? It had to be December. So it was it was midwinter. There was snow on the ground. Yeah, there was snow on the ground, but the roads were clear enough to ride. Um, and I probably shouldn't have ridden it because it was at night. So it wasn't like there was sun on the, <laughs> on the pavement or anything. But I remember riding that bike and I was surprised that it didn't feel faster than my Vulcan. Yeah. Because uh, I'm like, oh, this is a bigger bike. You know, it's 500 more cc's. That's like another Honda Rebel packed into this bike. It really didn't have any torque. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like much faster, if at all. If like, if any bit faster. And so that was the first thing I was surprised with. And like, yeah, you could tell it was a pretty cheap bike as far as, like it was probably fine brand new. But yeah, it had had a lot of custom, uh, <laughs> we use the word custom, but it had a lot of work It was done. a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of things were not stuck in ways that aren't good. Like yeah. you can put on a new exhaust and it sounds great, or you can switch up the handlebars or put on new levers, and that's that's a good, you know, not stock option to have. But it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't in that realm. Yeah. So I, I was firstly surprised, like, oh, this doesn't have as much power as I thought it would. Um, and being maybe just because it was so stripped down, I was also surprised that it didn't feel significantly heavier. I think it felt lighter. Yeah. Honestly. The engine was a lot more compact. It yeah. felt like it was part of the frame versus 
and I also have a Vulcan. Eventually, I got one, but um, the Vulcan has more of a spread. It's it's like, oh man, it it's like a horizontal engine position, and I'm sure you can go more into that. But it's not distributed like the Intruder was. Yeah, I, I think the Vulcan is meant to be like you know Kawasaki is a good company. They could engineer a a more compact bike, but I think the idea, like the vision behind the Vulcan, was just that. They wanted it to be like this is a big cruiser when it you know really it's like a mid-sized cruiser so it's not huge but yeah like this takes up space this is you know powerful or whatever yeah and so I think that the reason that they kind of left the Vulcan so stretched out and so so wide with that five point three liter gas tank I think yeah five point two or something like that it's pretty large like it's a big gas tank yeah especially for that bike for a mid-sized cruiser the gas tank really sticks out quite a bit yeah and it feels like you're on a bigger bike than you are i think that's true but anyways we got we got this bike i say i traded it for a thousand dollars and hunting collectibles <laughs> and anyways so we sold i i bought it with a thousand dollars in hunting collectibles at 2 a.m Matt gets back from riding it because I wanted to know how it operated and if it worked. We watched Rosilla a lot. So and it was really cold. I yeah. don't know if it was like salt on the road or ice crystals, but I could like look down at the road while I was riding it. I'm like, <laughs> I could maybe die on this crap. It had to be like, like this road has to be icy. <laughs> it was cold. It was a really yeah. cold day. It's really night. cold night. Night. <laughs> but no, so we get back and then we trade goods and. I get the title, and then the second we start the bike, because Matt had intended to ride it back to my house to park it so that I could go to work, because I was working night shift, <clears throat> and the bike didn't start because the positive cable on the battery was not connected anymore. And how would we know that? Because we're not <laughs> mechanics, and we have seen this bike for 20 minutes at this point, and the guy had left already. <laughs> Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> he's like, all right, man. Well, uh, good trade. That's it. <laughs> That's it. See you later. So he leaves and then try to start the bike. Like, uh, am I missing something? Like, this bike isn't starting. <laughs> and we're, So we're thinking it was the cold. So we tried a lot more, draining the battery more. Yeah. And then I call him and I say, what's going on? He says he'll fix it for us. So he comes back and we jerry-rig it, like, hardcore. And it sounds like he knew what the issue was because he knew what the solution was right away yeah so i'm like oh that's not shady <laughs> yeah it was pretty bad but he fixes it and it gets back to my house that was the last time i think i saw that bike move on its own yeah definitely pretty positive but anyways who'd you end up selling that to i oh i don't know i don't remember i got him off of facebook because i sold it and i did sell it for a profit technically i sold it for like two grand which was the honey memorabilia was quite expensive plus a thousand. So it was a good deal. But anyways, um, I sold it later on for like a good profit. And then I traded some more honey memorabilia for a, uh, a CB 200 T from 1975, which wasn't in great condition, but man, no. it was a cute bike. It was a cute bike. Like I would totally, you know, if I had a garage and time, and a little bit more know-how. Like, maybe right now I could do it. Definitely not back then. I don't feel like we were really prepared to take on that project. 
But like anyone watching this, like look it up. It's a it's a good looking bike. You can make it into a little cafe racer, and it's not. I'm sure it's not fast. We never actually got to ride it down the street, but well, we rode it, it down a good the driveway bike. once. Yeah, we rode. You you did. <laughs> yeah, I, I rode it down a driveway that sloped downward. So I don't know if in it the really, snow again. <laughs> yeah, in the snow. But I sold that one too. I got a profit off of it as well because a guy bought it and just hung it on his wall. He was a collector. Yeah. And it was a good looking bike. So it was. I was kind of jealous of him. But eventually, I finally got a Ninja 250. And it was a 2007, maybe? And had really low miles. I found it really randomly from a friend. Matt drove it again. I had another one of my bikes. And that was like February, maybe. Yeah, it had been like February, March. I don't remember a ton of snow on the ground. Roads were clear. You had been riding for a little bit then. Yeah, yeah. So I get the bike, and then we start, I get my permit, which we recommend. Um, And we start riding to like Walmart and like small places. And then we started um, going longer distances after I did the course. We both done the course. And we were like, we were pretty serious. Mm -hmm. It was like every day. Yeah. And... Like, what was your, like, because Matt pretty much convinced me to buy motorcycles. And anyone listening, I'll convince you too, if you let me talk to you one-on-one. But why? Why would you convince other people to ride? I think, you know, this is like such a stupid, corny answer. But once you experience (laughs) it, like, there is nothing like it. Yeah. I I mentioned earlier, like, oh, it's kind of difficult, you know, convincing your spouse. Um, And anyone who is married or has a girlfriend or a mom or just someone who cares about their well-being or, you know, at least their financial well-being, you know, they'll, they'll try and convince them like, Oh, I'll save money on gas. No, you won't. You're going to ride it every day, all day. Cause it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's going to be, I can park anywhere I want. Like, okay, that's great. Or like, you know, you can have all these reasons like, Oh, it's more economical. It's going to be cheaper in the long run. Like, no, it's not. You know, or or maybe it is even, but that's not a real reason. Like the reason that we ride motorcycles is because it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, you know, you experience just the freedom of that. Like I I remember before I got the bike, you know, we're really close to Yellowstone, so I've been to Yellowstone a ton of times. Go in the car, and you know you've got the roof over your head in the in the car, so you're like leaning this way <laughs> to look at the the tops of the trees. Yeah. Because it's beautiful. You know, you want to see the whole tree. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, oh, I wish this roof wasn't over my head. Before I was even like looking at motorcycles in a more serious way. Yeah. But then like once I did start looking at motorcycles in a more serious way to buy one, I was like, I could go to Yellowstone and I don't have to do this crap where I got to yeah. lean forward <laughs> to see in front of my, my, my roof. Yeah. And so like you can, you know, you can try to rationalize it, justify to whoever you want. Like, oh, there's all these reasons that make sense. Like none of that really matters like the reason that we ride is because it's so much fun you know it you you feel free you feel in control of the bike you feel the power underneath it like you don't get that from anything else you could say like oh well like a jet ski it's the same thing about on water you don't ride a jet ski to work (laughs) kevin (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean like you can experience this awesome thing every day you could go on a vacation for a week and have a lot of fun yeah for four thousand dollars or you could get you know a used zx6r or something like that 
and take it to the track or, you know, do some highway pulls and, you know, responsibly. But (laughs) (laughs) I think honestly that like I'm the same way. And that's what I talk to people about when they talk about motorcycling is it's a great outlet, especially for guys. Like it's an awesome way to escape quickly while you're commuting, like mind wise, you can turn your brain off, maybe turn on some music. You don't really have to, but like my favorite thing, if I'm getting stressed out about something is to wait till night and then just go on like a five minute ride. I don't have to go fast. I can just go on a five minute ride outside. Yeah. And it's like the air just feels different. And you can see a lot more and you can can... smell everything. Like you ride in the fall, you smell the leaves changing. You smell the hay that's, you know, that the farmers are bringing out. Like you smell all of it. Like everywhere you are. Like it's just, it's a cooler experience and you feel cool. And then you also get to have like a, a mechanical experience as well. Like it's just like riding a manual car. But I believe using the entire body, like using your shifter and your and your your brake levers and everything, and operating the vehicle, I think it connects you more to the vehicle. Definitely. And it just like it's a cool experience. It's like I know most people when they like drive a tractor for the first time, they're like, "Wow, that was really fun." Like, I'm not going to drive a tractor to work every day. Yeah, that'd be weird. But it makes sense. <laughs> But, like, you ride a motorcycle and you get the same experience. Like, it's just, it's a cool feeling. Yeah. And it's refreshing every day that you do it. Yeah. And and you talk about, like, you know, just kind of shut your brain off and, like, just relax for a few minutes. Like, I love that. You know, I now I live, I'm down in Utah, in, in uh, Utah County, which I don't love. But, you know, school and work opportunities, like, it's great for me. Right. Yeah. Now. So that's where we are. And I miss being up here where, like, there's less people. You can just kind of relax, like go down a country road and just just shut your brain off. You don't have to think about your responsibilities after you're done riding. You don't have to think about whatever crap was going on at work with your boss. And you don't have to think about, <laughs> you know, homework that's due. You don't have to think about any of these things. You can just get out there and relax. And you said, like, you go out riding for five minutes. I remember when I was in class here, I'm going to, going to the college in town, and I had, like, a half-hour gap in between two of my classes and this was when I also owned a Ninja 650, which I'll probably talk about in a little bit more detail later. But the bike was a little bit faster. I can't remember exactly how much horsepower it had. Somewhere around 70, I think. Yeah, that sounds um, right. Somewhere around there. We can look it up. But um, but it, so it was a little bit quick. You know, it's not doing 180 down the highway. But, but it has low-end torque. But yeah, it, you know, it's got some torque. It's got top speed around 130-ish. Um, 135. 135-ish. <laughs> I don't know how I know that. <laughs> I know mine went to 130. So. But anyway, like I had a half hour between classes, so I just ride out of town a little bit. And there's this, it's like a little butte, old volcano, inactive volcano. That's the word for it. There's a video on Moto Wide Lens, actually. A few. Um, you could probably check out. Yeah. I, I think I know the guy. But. <laughs> I think I know the guy. Yeah, so I could, I could go out there and it would take me like 20, 25 minutes to go out, ride all the way around this thing, and there's some curves around the road, and it's fun, um, and then just ride right back. And, like, that was so refreshing to get out of the classroom, get out of the school buildings, and just hop on my bike real quick, come back, and I'm just completely refreshed. It's cool. It's a therapeutic experience, and I 
I know it's like pretty corny, but I know I'll, like there's a bunch of stories about like families where the son has like anxiety and the kid gets into like dirt biking or maybe like an adult who's having a hard time in his life. They think it's like a midlife crisis, but he gets a motorcycle and all of a sudden he gets a lot more centered. He can think more about what's going on mm-hmm. and things get better. I think like having those hobbies, especially where motorcycling can apply to everyday life with commuting is valuable and keeping up with those hobbies, like upgrading your motorcycle or getting into other sports, like going to track days or doing long trips. Like we used to do Yellowstone, um, or like Mesa falls. It becomes a part of your life that you can decompress Mm -hmm. and focus. Definitely. And I think right now I'm at the point where, um, if I weren't directing so much of my time, energy and, and finances towards other things, I would really love to be like doing track days or get like a really cheap KLR 650 or, you know, some old like enduro bike like that. Um, I I think that adventure riding, especially like when you get into these other disciplines of motorcycling, you really get to open up your, your skill set, see what you may not be good at, but what you could really fall in love with. Yeah. So like I said, I started with cruisers. That's not really my style anymore. Um, I I still ride that bike um, because that's the bike I have. But, you know, I, I'd like to get into something a little bit outside of the, the cruiser segment. So what made you move from cruisers? What was the pushing factor? I know you went and got a Ninja 650, but mm-hmm. what was the pull? Um, so I, I would say the reason I got the Ninja 650 or the reason I rationalized it to my wife <laughs> was because we could make some money. So I, I bought the Ninja 650 off of an auction website called Crash Toys. Um, they sell boats, motorcycles, RVs, you know, they've also got their like parent company, uh, Copart. So you can check these places out. They've got broken vehicles. Like almost all of them have rebuilt titles. Some of them, you know, the the condition varies to like completely destroyed or flooded or like burned to ground. And just a frame is left to like, basically the vehicle's totally fine. Yeah. And the Ninja 650 that I got, um, I saw it listed and I got it on, you know, a great deal at the time. I, I spent $1,050 um, and, and this was last year in 2019. And what was like the shipping cost and everything? So all in all, or I don't remember the exact shipping cost because there were, okay. there were like little fees along the way. Yeah. Um, so in total, I made about $500 profit between okay. the, uh, the purchase of the bike and what I ended up selling it for like eight months later. So this bike, you know, it... It had obviously been down. It had some scratches on the fairings, but, you know, to someone who doesn't ride, like, they probably wouldn't even notice the scratches. It, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, the only thing I really had to replace was the the coolant reservoir, which was a $25 part, rip off the fairings, unbolt, bolt the new one back on. Like, wasn't hard at all. Yeah. So I didn't really have to put that much work into it, um, and, and it already had, like, adjustable levers. It already had the... Uh, uh, the license plate, you know, moved the, the tail tidy is moved back onto the, the, the fender tail. eliminator. Yeah, the fender eliminator. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> the tail tidy. Yeah. Is that a word? That, the, yeah, that is a oh, phrase. Okay. The tail tidy. The tail has been tidied. That's, that sounds really um, great. Yeah, that's what I call my manscaping sessions. <laughs> tail tidy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, so I, I ended up getting this bike. Didn't need a ton of work. Um, and I sold it about eight months later. And. The reason that I wanted to get into, you know, especially with this Ninja 650 was it was something that it was going to be more power. It's going to be faster. Yeah. Um, it was a different type of riding. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to be limited to the cruiser, 
just limitations that cruisers have. You know, they're heavy. They're not that fast. They, the steering isn't great. They don't handle amazing. Yeah. But they look cool, you know. So, so we still buy cruisers every now and then. But the Ninja, you know, it was a dedicated sport bike. But it wasn't such an intense sport bike that it wasn't going to be approachable to me. So it was going to be more power, something I could still handle. Yeah. But something that would still be an upgrade. So I was very happy to get that bike. And to this day, it's been the most fun bike I've had. Or most fun bike I've, I've ridden. And I've ridden all of Jay's bikes that were rideable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my bikes, a, a couple other friends' bikes. And I would definitely say it's been the most fun so far. I really loved uh, my time with my Ninja 650. It was so great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I loved that. So I also had a Ninja 650 after, I think it was three months, maybe. Well, I guess it was three months. But I had the Ninja 250, and I became really proficient in it. Um, it I think it's the perfect entry-level bike. The 250 or 650? Yeah, the 250. The Ninja agree. 250. Uh, because it really it gets you to slow down and think about shifting, <clears throat> and then it helps you to understand how to counter steer, um, how to just like all the basics of motorcycling. And that's and, all you need for your first bike. Yeah. Just learn how to ride motorcycles, not learn how to not die on your motorcycle. Yeah, seriously. And you don't really need to be on the highway because the highway is pretty easy to negotiate for a beginner rider. So you really need to bang out and, and understand um, how to ride in town. So the 250 is perfect for that, especially after you take the course. And then after a few months, I kind of outgrew it really fast. I am taller and the 250 is, a, it's a small bike. So I ended up seeing a 650 on Facebook Marketplace and it really wasn't that expensive. Like, I think it was like 29. No, no, it was cheaper. It was probably like 25 or 24. Maybe it was a little bit 29, but I got it for like 24. And I got the other one, the 250 for like 17. And I sold it for two. So I ended up paying a little bit extra, but it was a newer bike. It had, you know, more engine size, uh, higher CCs. Yeah, better in every way. Easily. Yeah. And it had race, you know, race grips um, and a bunch of modifications on it. Um, but it was just a more confident ride. And the first time I rode it, it just felt like, like new and exciting because I was going down the street in first gear and I got up to like 45. Yeah, it was like, like a rocket Whoa. ship. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's so cool. Like it was a cool experience. It felt good on me, especially where it's a, a higher ride height. Um, and the seats on the 2008 version that I had was Kawasaki still had the combined seat. It didn't have the pylon um, cut in it like they do today. Um, but it was just comfortable. So... I like that a lot. We started going on longer trips. We started going to like, like Mesa Falls, which is like, it's how, like how far is that away? An hour. Yeah, maybe hour an hour and a half. Well, like it's an hour and a half to get home. Yeah, hour and a half, like there and back, if you don't stay that long in Mesa Falls. Yeah. So that's that was that was a good a good time. We used to do that quite frequently. Yeah, we'd ride. We'd both ride our ninjas up there, which was awesome because. You know, it's it's a just highway canyon stretch. Curving. Yeah, it's it's highway stretch getting up there, so you can do some pulls if you want to. Yeah. Um, and then once you get up there, you get into the canyon part, and it's just like perfect. Be yeah, beautiful, perfect curve after curve. It's really fun. Yeah. I really want one again, but anyways, so I had mine for another three months, maybe, 
and it becomes like it was November, I think. And I was teaching my wife how to ride and she accidentally throttled through a curve and she hit some gravel and she hit a fence and it totaled the bike. It was a pretty scary experience. And I, I'll probably have her on to talk about it. But the scariest part of that was just like hearing the metal crush and like, oh wow, that was a bad wreck. Like, and she's on the ground. She was okay, she just broke her shoulder. Um, luckily she wore gear, which is a very big recommendation for any new riders, any riders period. Um, your helmet is going to save your life. Your back protector and your shoulders and all those other pads on you are going to save you from being paralyzed. So they probably won't save your life, but they'll help you have a good life. Um, but yeah, that, that was a great bike. I miss it. Um, and I actually went back and I got another one, um, in the coming spring after that. And it was from Utah. It had, it was a naked conversion. Meaning that someone had probably put it down and ripped the fairings <laughs> off, called it naked. It was a rough bike. It, it had a aftermarket <clears throat> exhaust that sounded like a pickup truck that had died. Yeah, it had a nice sound, but it was too loud for it, me. Yeah, it, and you know, like I have a congested street, and I could tell everyone already hated me the second I pulled <laughs> in. But because uh, <laughs> the Vulcan's a very, it's a very quiet bike. Yeah. But then the yeah. that Ninja with that exhaust just sounded horrible. Um, I don't know. It really brings out like the buzzy twin of, yeah. the, of the Ninja. And I loved the Ninja itself, but man, that engine sound, it was tough to swallow sometimes. Like you want to rev out your sport bike, but then you're like, oh no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone might hear. <laughs> and that one too had some things that were broken on it. Like I wanted to add a windshield because it is cold in Idaho. And that was a difficult feat. And then the the guy put skulls all over it. And I didn't really like that. Um, and then also the the chain. The chain was just like sagging on the ground. Yeah, it was it was literally resting on uh, on the bike itself. So like in between the two gears, it was sagging so much that it was resting on hard parts. Of and it was the bike. wearing the frame out. Yeah, uh, which is like which really is obviously bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I fixed the chain. I fixed the sprocket. The front sprocket was. Um, or I replaced the chain and replaced the sprocket. Um, the front sprocket was fused onto the bike, so I couldn't take it off and replace it. So when that happened, and then I had to bleed the brakes because the back brake needed compression every time you stopped. So you had to like stamp on it for it to like completely stop, which was horrible. Um, I gave up on the bike and I started going on Facebook and just like, a desperate single guy just like sending messages to any bike that I liked. <laughs> You're like swiping right on every <laughs> list. Seriously. Any of them will do anything but what's going on yeah. right now. <laughs> anything that was remotely rideable, I messaged him and I said, do you want to trade? And it was like, I went from like Wyoming to Utah and like that whole huge area of just like messaging all these people. So... I eventually found one in Utah. It was a red, older Vulcan. It was like 2003, maybe. And he wanted to trade, but it would take me five hours to trade with him. So I told him yes. And it was going to be a good deal. It was a little beat up. Um, and then the day before I go to pick it up, I actually messaged a guy that had just put a, a Vulcan, same one, Vulcan 900, but it was newer. It was 2010. 
and it only had like 10,000 miles on it. I've since put five on it, but, um, and I asked him if I wanted to, if he wanted to trade and he said immediately, yes. And he came over and he looked at the bike and we switched the next day. So I've been on a Vulcan since, and that was, yeah. When was that? Oh gosh. It's probably like February or March. Okay. So I remember cause snow was on the ground. So it was, it was February or March. So I've had it since then. It's September now. That's been a few months now. And we've had a lot of fun on it. Like we, I've gone with my wife and Matt and his wife to Alpine. That was cool. And that's Alpine, Wyoming. It's about hour and a half, two hours from here. I would say it's closer to two. Yeah. It's closer to two. It's a pretty really ride. pretty though. Yeah. The only thing that I, I've realized with the Vulcan is that my wife and I are not skinny people and I'm tall and larger. And she's pretty tall for a girl too. She is. Yeah. Um, but it's just like with the braking on that bike, it's too small. So I would prefer to go back to a 650 because I don't really ride with my wife much anymore anyways. So I can commute and I miss the 650 a lot. The Ninja. It's hard not to. <laughs> Seriously though, like it made commute so much more fun. Yeah. But that's where we're at right now is we have these bikes. But if you could get a bike tomorrow, if say you had like What's six grand, six grand, six grand, doesn't have to be new. Can I have eight grand? <laughs> you want to get the FTR? No, I no. What I is that? Fifteen. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to get the FTR twelve hundred, and and for those who don't know, Indian just came out. I think last year, they've been like teasing it for a couple of years, but but you can buy one now and they just put them out for production for sale last year in 2019. Yeah. Um, the FTR 1200, which is supposed to be like a race replica of their 750 CC flat track racing bike. It's beautiful. Um, and, and it's not an exact replica, but who cares? Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> and everything I've heard about it is it's a ton of fun. Yeah. But that one, if you want to get it highest spec, it's like 15, 15 ish. Yeah. So, so what would you get with eight? So with eight grand, I would get a used, 2017 or 2018 triumph street triple rs why would you go with the triumph instead of the ninja so the ninja has a really buzzy sounding uh two-cylinder you know parallel twin thought you were gonna say that and and i don't <laughs> love that about the bike and honestly i wouldn't mind just a little bit more power i think the you know the ninja 650 is a great platform i really loved having it but I'm at the point where I would like a little bit more power. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to maybe racing on the street and I don't need, you know, like a super sport, you know, 600 or a thousand level of power where it's all at the top end, but the, the, the street triple, nice. yeah, the street triple that, that three cylinder, it's just made for like low and mid range power. Yeah. I'm sure I, I haven't looked up the top speed figures, but I'm sure it'll go 140, maybe 150. I don't know. And I don't really care. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't do that. Probably wouldn't go past 80 really. Maybe 90. Uh, yeah, I'd go past 80. <laughs> I'd still go past 80. But, um, but yeah, I, everything I've heard about it, you know, it, it's just amazing. I, I've seen those bikes a lot down in Utah. A lot of people have them. And I've heard those bikes, and especially with an aftermarket exhaust, like, it just sings to my heart. <laughs> you sound like Yammy Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're beautiful bikes. Well, not, not beautiful, I'd say. I, I'd say they do look really good, but only to, like, 50% of people either love it or hate it with those twin eyes, they're, twin eye headlights. I like them. I like it. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think they're cool. I think it's pretty rad. So that's what I would get, I I think. And especially in the RS trim, it's got 
all the sporty goodness to where I could take it to the track and be just fine. Yeah, that's a good option. I'm, I'm definitely tempted to say the street triple, but I, I've been looking at a lot of Z900s right now. Yeah. I won't. I mean, it's a competitor so for sure. <laughs> it's so pretty. And like the 650 does have a lot of torque. The 900, um, it should be comparable. I think it's a parallel twin as well. Or is it inline? The nine. I, I, I think it's an inline four. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I think that's something we should know, but I, I want to say it's an inline four because I think the engine for that is derived from the ZX10. Which is an inline four cylinder. Which is a leader bike. Yeah, which is a leader bike, and and so the Z nine hundred is, you know, comparable, but it's going to be, it just tuned more for torque instead of horsepower. So the Z nine hundred we're showing is oh golly, I'll just put parallel on there, parallel. Yeah, then you got to learn how to spell parallel. Yeah, it's a parallel twin. It is? Yeah, parallel twin. So it would be comparable to a 650. As far as the engine sound? Yeah. I mean, it would just be like a louder Ninja 650. And I think it would have more torque in the low end because it's used as like a drag racer for most people. Mm -hmm. But, oh man, those things are pretty. Yeah, I mean, like you'd be doing wheelies <laughs> whenever you want to. And that's something you could do with the street triple, but it's not like... It's not going to rip your arms off immediately. No, yeah. So I, I think the street triple for my preferences right now, um, and for the foreseeable future, I think it's probably the better street option for myself. Yeah, it is a pretty bike, and I definitely want to at least test drive one. I think that would be a ton of fun. But yeah, I can honestly just got to go test drive bikes, man. Like especially going to Indian and like, I've sat on bobbers. Yeah. I think they're beautiful. I don't think they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. I, especially for me being a taller rider, you would probably think, I mean, you probably thought it was comfortable. Right? Yeah. I mean, I liked, so, so Jay and I, we went to, um, Indian motorcycle, Indian motorcycle dealership in Boise, Idaho. Yeah. Both sat on some Indian scouts, Indian scout bobbers. The FTR wasn't out yet at that time. So we didn't get to sit on that. Yeah. I have since in Idaho Falls and you know, it felt great, but, but yeah, I, I did enjoy the the Indian Scout and Indian Scout Bobber. I thought it was comfortable for someone my size. And I'm like 5'9", 5'10", if I'm wearing boots. Yeah, I'm 6'3", and the Vulcan is is comfortable. The 650 was comfortable. Um, but the Bobber, just the way that it sits, it's so low. If I was going to use it, I would highly recommend dry, drag bars for most tall riders because it just – it. You know, it puts it at a good angle mm -hmm. and then some risers on the bobber because it's so low. Yeah. But... I think the, I think the handlebars that I most <clears throat> enjoyed when we were there and it was like a year and a half ago now, but I think they were, um, like low rise, like mini apes. Oh and yeah. Yeah. They were. I think that's what the guy said they were in and he knew that we weren't going to be buying them, but yeah, <laughs> like look at these poor he kind of babysat us. Yeah. Yeah, we just walked in there and sat on all those bikes. I do think, though, that Indian definitely... Because we went to... Was it three dealerships or two? It was just Harley and Indian, right? Or was it so another So we went one? to... No, because the one... So we went to... that. There were like three different dealerships all sharing the same parking lot. And Harley was on one side and then Indian and another one. I forgot. I think it was Triumph, actually. Yeah, I, I think, think it was Indian Triumph. And Triumph on, on, one, on the other side. They were in one building. Yeah, I would say the guy at the Indian dealership was probably the nicest. And, you know, the Harley guys, they were... I, honestly, I think the Harley guys were kind of douches. Yeah, they weren't, I... <laughs> like, super friendly or, or super helpful at all. But 
yeah. and I wouldn't say anything bad about the guys at the Triumph dealership. You know, they were fine. But the guy at the Indian dealership, you know. He was nice. He made a quick assessment like, okay, I'm not going to be super, you know, aggressive with my salesman, you know, lingo or whatever. Like, he's not going to try to sell us these bikes. He knew that we weren't going to be buying. Yeah. Because we weren't there with our wives. We were yeah. two guys wearing rings. <laughs> there together. Yeah. We're two either married guys. to yeah. We were either married to each other and had no money, or we're married just... to someone else and had no money. Yeah, uh, yeah. That... So he was nice. You know, he he was very friendly up front, and he answered all of our stupid questions. And I just like the environment there a lot more. Like it felt more welcoming. Yeah, Indian has a really cool way of like. They make everything seem really special. Like even like their hats and like all their merch is just like. And I bought a hat. Yeah. I don't have them. Yeah, I don't have an Indian motorcycle, but I bought a hat because it's cool. They're beautiful. Yeah. Harley, and that this is a discussion that I really want to get an episode in on, of like, and a lot of YouTubers have actually talked about it. Fortnite has talked about it. I think Yami Noob has also talked about it. Yeah, he's he's put out a lot a lot more Harley content lately. Donuts talked about it like four times now yeah donut media heart i love donut media um but harley is dying and the reason is is because they're just flipping off everybody that wants to buy their bikes you know like making it too expensive and then they're just aggressive in the sales room and it's this huge campaign against every other motorcycle brand and people who like sport bikes and i think that's a bad move really and I think, I don't know where Indian's going as a company as far as, like, are they going to make a sport bike? Um, I, you know, if they said tomorrow that they were going to do that, I'd be a little surprised. Yeah. But I, I could see them doing that, like, five years from now because they're getting into more of, like, the naked segment with the FTR that there was so much hype about, you know, for months and maybe even years leading up to it as they teased the FTR 1200. Yeah. Um, so I think if they were to do, like, another naked bike or like a smaller naked bike or something like that, they could eventually get into a sportier bike, maybe like a half farad bike and then maybe eventually into like a full farad sport bike. I think they're going into a, into uh, sport bikes. Mm-hmm. I think that every major motorcycle manufacturer, if they don't get into sport bikes in the next five years, because all of them are getting into electric, mm-hmm. electric does not work well with cruisers. Like, it's not the crowd that wants it. Yeah. And especially where they're making proprietary uh, technology to power these these electric bikes that they're developing, they're going to make a huge mistake of going towards a cruiser crowd. Yeah, I think as far as electric bikes go, like, it's going to be naked bikes and sport bikes. And that's going to be the majority of what, uh, of what the market wants as far as an electric bike goes. You know, it's going to be in other bikes as well, but... Most popular, the money makers, it's going to be nakeds and sport bikes. And that's why, like, and I, I think one of my next episodes is going to be about electric bikes because that's one of my passions. I follow this blog called electric.co. They have a lot of really cool um, just news sources about new technology that is coming out for electric vehicles and just electric power in general. But zero motorcycles, if I could go and just, like, hug the guy like you know <laughs> have a conversation with the owner because he, he started out like as a professional dirt bike rider and then he moved into electric bikes because he was passionate about it and now he creates the tesla of electric motorcycles mm-hmm. the zero srf is the top one right now um srs was just released within the past it was six like six or eight months i think 
It, it was recently because we talked about it. Yeah. But that's the full fairing one. Yeah. And they're beautiful. Like, it's it's great technology. It's a great <clears throat> company. And I'd love to talk about it, which will be an episode coming up soon. But, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of cool things happening in motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, you want to make a trip down to, down to where I live. I live, like, five minutes from the only zero dealership in utah it's so. probably in almost the whole northwest yeah it might be the only <laughs> one in the northwest i mean maybe seattle's got one i haven't checked i bet but... portland has one yeah all those hippies out there yeah <laughs> but yeah it's cool i i've gone in there and sat on one as recently as i think three weeks ago it's when i was in the dealership yeah i was looking at so it's a dual ktm and a zero dealership or no oh, no it's a husqvarna and and zero dealership. I was going to say, KTM seems like a weird partnership. Yeah. I mean, like, KTM owns Husqvarna, and so, like, they're basically the same. But... Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I, I've got a, <laughs> I mean, there's a KTM dealership, like, 10 minutes away, so. Oh, okay. Not a huge deal. I can go there, too. But, yeah. But yeah, I, I was there looking at some Spark Pillons and some Vit Pillons from Husqvarna, and I was like, you know what? I've seen the Zeros, but can I just, like, can I sit on one again? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, sure, man. It's so a cool I, experience. I sat on it. He offered me to take it for a test ride, but you got to like schedule it. And, oh, really? Like, I don't want to, you know, I'd love to take it for a test ride, but I just told him up front, like, I'm, I'm not going to buy it. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. not in the budget. And if I had the budget, I still probably wouldn't buy it just because I'm not in a position to really utilize the benefits of an electric bike. Yeah. So. You really need to be in a small city or, I mean, even a big city. Just yeah, you can be in a city. city, but you need to have a garage to charge it overnight. Otherwise, it's you either got to charge it out of your office or... It's just really inconvenient. That's true. So, and I don't have that right now. I don't have a garage to charge it in. Or the money to buy one. Or the money to buy They're one, like which I guess is more important. Yeah. Or if you got the new one, it'd be like 25. Yeah. But yeah, that's a big investment. But it's one of my passions. I'd love to talk about it. Um, but really, we're kind of wrapping up here. What is your number one or like top five you can choose? piece of advice for new riders what is the number one thing you could have gone back and done differently or one of the things that you you're happy you did i mean i I, first i would say like i'm happiest that i took um so idaho it's not through the msf foundation it's um it's through the star foundation organization i don't know what it is but i i took the class that like teaches you how to ride and i would say that was the biggest help to my my learning curve because I had zero motorcycle experience, zero dirt bike experience. I had nothing at that point, just a desire. And so the class, you know, it was like 120 bucks or something like that with taxes and fees or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it was a bit of an investment, but I would say like at the very least, it gave me the experience of, okay, I sat on a bike. I've ridden a bike for a few days now. We were in the classroom out in the, you know, it's a big parking lot where they teach you. I, I was there. They taught me all these things that, like, I remember to this day, like, oh, I should um, I should be in this lane position, or this is the proper way to take a corner, um, this is how you emergency brake. Like, it, it taught me all these things where I would have had to learn on my own, and I probably would have learned slower or incorrectly. And so I would say the best thing that I did for my career in motorcycling was taking that class. You know, and, and I hadn't, again, like I said, I, did, I didn't have any experience on a motorcycle before. So taking that class, like at the very least, I rode a motorcycle and I found out that I liked it. You know, worst case scenario, I take that class and I find out, you know what? I actually don't like this. Best case scenario, like what happened with me, I learned a lot and I found out I loved it. Yeah. Right? So I, I would definitely say do that. Like if there's anything you can do, 
take that class because like gear is great for when you crash and you probably will yeah um luckily i haven't yet i probably will but <laughs> it's, it's statistically yeah like statistically it's it's probably going to happen so I, I plan for that you know i wear my helmet my jacket gloves i need boots i don't have them um, but i definitely should get them i'll probably be getting them this winter yeah but gear is great for when you crash but you know what's even better is preventing a crash from ever happening and i think solely that that responsibility lies on the rider so if you can prevent all possible crashes where they're your fault and it's my personal belief that most crashes are your fault like someone cuts you off like you should have been more perceptive or you should have had a buffer in front of you or you know all these things like you can prevent a lot of things from happening even if the other person's at fault yeah so, so i feel like you can prevent a lot of accidents by just being a better rider that's true and i i second that i think that's a great idea um, Dan Dan the fireman has a really good um, series where he goes through crash videos and talks about like what you could do and then he also has informational courses so I'd highly recommend watching him um, <clears throat> but my advice for riders is the best bike you can have is the one that you can ride the most and learn on mm -hmm. um, it's not smart to get a leader bike when you start out I wanted one really bad he did because <laughs> And I almost I, got one. Like, I went back and forth on talking about it. Like, you know, I, I I would tell Jay, like, you know, you probably shouldn't get one, but he really wanted one. I'm like, well, like, I, he's an adult. You know, he's going to yeah. do what he wants to do. I, I'm not going to continue forcing my opinion on him. Like, if he really wants one, sure, dude, you will die, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> Which, that wasn't a smart idea. Um, but, like I said, get your miles in. Like, your first year of riding, you should be getting past 5,000. Like getting in every day, finding a place to go practice slow turns in a parking lot, uh, practice stopping in the parking lot, practice uh, counter steering in the parking lot or in like back streets and stuff like that. Um, but choosing the bike that's right for you so that you can ride it every day, choosing one that works, I didn't do that. And although I did make a profit and I ended up getting the bikes that I wanted, it really wasn't worth it because I spent eight months well, I guess like six months, six months trying to find a bike. When you could have been, you know, it, some of that, it was winter in Idaho. So you could have only ridden for like maybe 20 minutes a day Yeah. At, when the sun's at its highest point, but you could have been riding during that time. I could have been doing something to increase my skills and that's valuable. And I think the best riders are the ones that are out there every day or constantly practicing and going through drills, checking out their bike and making sure everything's up and working. The ones that die are the ones that don't practice, that don't care how their bike is working, that aren't, uh, they don't have a license, they aren't trained, or they're an older guy that just steps right back on and decides to go to Sturgis. Like, those are the guys that die. And motorcycling is way too good to waste it on doing stupid stuff like that. And I, I would add to that, so do you feel like at some point during the two bikes that you bought in the beginning that didn't really run, where we were trying to fix them, and we weren't mechanics. We're still not, but yeah. <laughs> maybe we're better at it now. Maybe we'll get another project bike. We'll see. But, Probably. But do you feel like there was any point during that where you felt so frustrated, so just like rejected by the motorcycle gods? Like, why can't I get this stupid bike working? Like, did you ever feel where you came close to like, you know what? Maybe motorcycling's not for me. Like, I'm just going to not do this. Constantly. It was like every day. And the coolest thing about motorcycling is like Matt talked about. The first time you get on a bike and you rev it 
or even you just shift once. Like the first time you do that, it's a cool experience mm -hmm. and it gets you hooked like immediately. That's I honestly, everybody that I've talked to, the first time they laid on the throttle going into second gear is like an experience that they remember. Yeah, and, I remember mine. Yeah. And it's awesome. Like you don't want to ruin that experience by, mm -hmm. you know, having a crappy bike or getting a bike that's too big. When you lay on the throttle, you're on your back. Like that's scary. Yami Noob will tell you differently, but don't follow him. <laughs> <laughs> He's better now, but if you watch like any of his earlier videos, you know, he... He made some mistakes, and I feel like he's kind of owned up to that now, but... He's a parody channel. I think, like, he has a lot of entertainment value. I like his channel, but I don't think it's educational, and I don't think that people should take it as, like, honest truth. Yeah, but I mean, like, just going back to your point of, like, start on a bike that you can actually ride instead of wrench on, like... Because I, I remember being there, you know, sometimes I would ride my bike over, like, before the the snow got too heavy or anything. Yeah. I would ride my bike there to help you work on your bike. <laughs> and every day I thought like, maybe we'll get it to a point where he could ride it. Yeah. But that went on for like months where, you know, I'd come over and try to help you with stuff. But and I was hoping that you weren't getting turned off to the sport because of a rough experience right up front. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely was close, but eventually we got to the point um, where we definitely started to see um, a lot better situations. And that was when I got a bike that was working. Yeah. Um, and I think the Ninja 250 was perfect at that time. Oh, I definitely agree. I think that the Ninja 250, again, is the best intro bike for everybody. Um, no matter who you are, no matter how tall you are, it's a great bike to understand shifting. It's a great bike to understand braking. And, and it's just it, so cheap. Like, you know, you could... You could go get, in and get a, a Ninja 400, which again would be, you know, an awesome bike to start on as well for just about anybody. I'd say like 95% of people could definitely start on Ninja 400 and yeah. have a great time, learn a lot. But the Ninja 250, like they're old, you know, most of them are carbureted. I think all of them are carbureted. I don't know for sure. The but newer, there's a newer one, but it the, they it, it doesn't matter. But they ended up getting an electric start. Yeah. But I mean, they're, they're just so cheap. You can get a used one, probably beat up, but who cares what it looks like? It's your first bike. You're going to beat it up too. Yeah. So that's true. So I remember like riding that one, you know, for the first time when we went over to that guy's townhouse to, to look at it, I took it out for a ride and, and I remember like I got back and you're like, how did it feel? And I was like, well, it's a 250. <laughs> so like, there's not a ton of power, but everything felt great. You know, the brakes felt good. The fueling felt good and smooth. Like everything felt smooth and it worked yeah and that's all that mattered i don't think it really mattered that you know it had negative two horsepower or whatever no it really didn't so, but it's a great bike to learn yeah which is all that matters like as long as it works you can learn how to ride a motorcycle seriously honestly where i want to go with this podcast is to encourage beginners to continue learning uh to continue understanding um you know, how to fix your bike, uh, what to look for in bikes. I know a lot of people that would listen to this haven't even gotten a motorcycle yet. Um, to get a bike, to start learning. And then for the people who are intermediate to expert, I really doubt that Rossi's listening to this. But that would be really cool. If our Lord and Savior is, Ross, <laughs> is, uh, is listening, I would love that. Hail to Rossi. Um, but 
you know, just continue to learn about the culture, continue to find ways to improve your writing and then continue to find ways to, um, you know, upgrade. It's an exciting sport. You can do a whole lot of things with your bike and you can get a newer bike and a better bike. Like you can get a new bike every year if you want to. And like, I think that's totally fine. And you can sell it for a, uh, you know, a profit. If you sell at the right time, like buy in the winter, sell in the summer, you can make a lot of money, but or just get a new bike, yeah. you know? But yeah, that's where we're going to end for today. Um, you Again, you're listening to the Early Exit Podcast. Uh, please subscribe and share with as many people as you can. We'd like to thank Matthew Lurker for being on today. And if you'd like to ask some questions that we can answer next time, just comment on this video on YouTube or send me a message through the Reddit account that we're publishing through. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback on the episode and see where we can improve for next time. Our plan is to interview as many people as we can in the motorcycling industry, as well as enthusiasts and people who, who ride every day. Um, just let me know if you're interested. I'd love to speak with you and this is it. This is our podcast. Have a good day.